Thanks for tuning in to Link Up 360, a Link Group podcast. I'm Jade Baker, Head of Industry here at Link Group. We recently launched our first ever investment trust dividend monitor, and the response has been overwhelmingly positive. So in this episode, we'll be exploring the topic of investment trusts further. Now, as our listeners will know, I'm normally joined by Lindsay Dowd, but Lindsay recently left our business to pursue new opportunities. So I'm sure you'll all join me in wishing her all the very best for the future. I've really enjoyed sharing this platform with Lindsay, so I've been having a think about who I could ask to join me to host future episodes, and I've decided to ask Victoria Keenan. Victoria is one of our account directors based in our Edinburgh office and has a wealth of experience and lots of knowledge of our industry. So I'm going to give her a call and see what she says. Hello, Victoria Keenan speaking. Hey, Victoria, it's Jay. How are you doing? Oh, I'm all right, Jay. Thanks. How about you? I'm good, thanks. Yeah. Um, look, the reason I'm calling is that we're doing a podcast on investment trusts and I wanted to see if you'd like to join me as a co-host. Hang on, what do you need me to do? Well, I've set up a conversation with two very knowledgeable guests and we're going to be discussing trends from the world of investment trusts and beyond. The first guest is Mark Baker. Uh, He's Research Director at 5i Research and we're also going to be joined by James DeSummerez, Director and Head of Investment Trusts at Janice Henderson. Oh, that is interesting. I actually think I've met James and possibly worked with him before. That sounds great. I've partnered with lots of investment trusts, so this is a conversation that I'm definitely keen to be part of. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, let's uh, let's catch up then, then when we record the podcast. Thanks a lot, Jay. Chat to you soon. See you soon. Bye. Well, I'm glad that's sorted. If you want to download our investment trust dividend monitor, you can access the link in the description. Now, let's get straight into the conversation with our guests. Right, we're live. Thank you, James and Mark, for joining us today. And of course, Victoria. Investment trusts have had a good response to the pandemic, increasing dividends in 2020, for example. So today we're going to be talking about that in more detail. But before we do, I thought it might be useful to hear from you, James, a bit about the background of investment trusts and why investors choose to invest in them. Yes, um, certainly. I mean, investment trusts to start with. I mean, the important thing to remember about investment trusts is that they are a pooled fund. Uh, you're employing a uh, professional manager to buy into a portfolio of a number of other companies. So you spread your risk across uh, a large number of companies that are chosen by a professional manager. And it's different to what are called open-ended funds because investment trusts are actually companies listed on the stock exchange. And many of these companies have been around for a very long time. Um, The first investment trust was launched in 1867. Uh, And the Bankers Investment Trust, which is uh, one of our oldest investment trusts, was actually launched in 1888. And so you can see that the investment trusts have looked after the sort of uh, investments of many generations of families. And uh, I think that's something that uh, that counts for a lot uh, in in, in this day and age. Um, One of the other advantages investment trusts have is that they have an independent board of directors. And that independent board Mm -hmm. of directors appoint the manager, challenge the manager, question what the manager is doing. Uh, and above all, um, negotiate the fees <laughs> that the manager receives, uh, which means that there's a, that's always something that's quite competitive. So, so I think that um, um, you know a lot of investors like investment trusts because of their longevity. They like investment trusts because of this independent governance provided by the board. They like investment trusts because they provide a good spread of risk through a portfolio chosen by a professional manager. Now, the one mm. other um, benefit of investment trusts, which is very pertinent to our discussion today is that investment trusts, uh, because they're companies, 
um, are able to keep um, some of their income back every year into what's called a revenue reserve. And it's like putting money away for a rainy day. Um, and so what they do is they, 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 they can only retain 15% of their income. The other 70, uh, 85% has to be, has to be distributed. Um, but they can put some aside. So in the good years, they can put money aside for the bad years. And that enables investment yeah. trusts to keep very steady level of dividends, you know, and a steadily growing level of dividends. And it's because of that, 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 that ability to be able to do that, that, for example, the City of London Investment Trust, uh, PLC, has the longest track record of, uh, in the investment trust sector of increasing its dividends every year. It's increased its dividends every year uh, since 1976. Uh, ni- uh, um, wow. So it's 55 years, uh, which is uh, which is a fair old time. And, and for those of you who are football supporters, of course, you'll remember that was when England last won the World Cup. Um, I expect most of you are too young to remember that, um, but I, um, I I certainly do remember it. Um, and literally 55 years of, of increasing dividends every year. Now this is very very reassuring for investors to know that that's the case. And these these revenue reserves have facilitated that. And I'm sure we'll come on to talk a little bit about how those revenue reserves came into play very very effectively in 2020. Yeah, and of course I would imagine that was also the case back in uh, 2008, 2009, 2010 during the the financial crisis. Um, so, uh, Victoria, please carry on. Yeah, no, sorry, I was just going to ask James. Is this? I've heard the term dividend heroes thrown around and investment trust heroes. Is that due to the longevity of the fund and the constantly growing dividend? Um, our, our um, you know, dividend hero status is provided by the Association of Investment Companies, the trade body for the investment trust industry. And it, it's about the consecutive years that you've increased your dividend. So if you know you need to be a dividend to be a dividend hero, you need to have increased your dividend every year for at least ten years. And if you don't yeah. increase your dividend in any one year, or if you um, hold your dividend at the same level in any one year, then you cease to be a dividend hero. So um, you know investment no trust boards are very very keen to continue to, to grow their dividends every year because they want to retain their dividend hero status. Right. So talking about dividends, I think, and, and to bring Mark in, um, you know, what, what, we, what, what we've seen during what's been some very challenging market conditions, uh, Mark, over the last year or so, it, it, I would love to hear your insights in, into how investment trusts have been performing on, on the dividend front. Yeah, I mean, it, it's been a fascinating year. And um, I think before we jump into talking about investment trust dividends, it's worth just looking at the broader context. Um, so if we just look at the UK only over the last year, then something like two thirds of companies listed on the London Stock Exchange actually cut their dividend last year. Um, and overall, they failed. So total dividends, fell. if you take out the kind of volatile things like special dividends and just look at the kind of steady regular dividends. They fell by 38% um, uh, during those sort of pandemic quarters. And that's actually never happened in the UK before. Even after the global financial crisis, uh, UK dividends didn't fall that much. So it's a really, really unusual year. Wow. Yes, yes, because this time the banks were all banned from paying dividends uh, and oil companies all cut their dividends as well. So once you take those two out you've actually lost quite a big chunk of what is rather a concentrated market in the UK for dividend payments. 
those big companies really do dominate the picture. So it's a very bad year uh, for UK income on its own. And if we look a bit more widely around the world, the picture is not so bad. So that um, if actually Janice Henderson's global dividend index it, it tracks global dividend payouts and, and showed that they were down 12% last year. And that's actually slightly better than in the global financial crisis. And I think really that, that sort of testament to the sort of global diversification argument that you know, if you're in a spread of countries and a spread of sectors and a spread of companies, you're going to be more protected against those sort of big impacts that hit any one part of the world or another or any one sector or another. But even so, that was a big number. Nonetheless, you're down 12%. So what happened with um, the investment trust? Well, yeah, investment trusts invest in all sorts of different kinds of, of shares. So they have all different flavours. Many of them are, uh, are focused on the UK. Many of them are globally focused. Some have a particular regional mandate, like looking at Europe or Asia Pacific. Uh, and I think James, take, ha, James, in your in your portfolio of investment trusts at, at Janus Henderson, you have some that do really all of those things. I think. Um, and you know, James has touched on this this revenue reserve, and that really did come into its own. So last year, the investment trusts that invested equities in the UK, I'm not going to talk about those investing in property and some of the kind of more esoteric assets, just kind of more vanilla equity funds. They dished out about 1.9 billion uh, in dividends last year, and that was actually up 4.2%. So an increase in dividends from investment trusts in a year when uh, everyone else in the UK went down 38% and the wider world went down 12%. So it's a really astonishing result. And very few of them actually cut. So, you, you know, I told you that in the UK, around two thirds of companies cut their dividend last year. Globally, it's about a third. In the investment trust sector, actually 75% of trusts either held or increased their dividend last year. So really, really impressive results. Um, I can give you a bit more information if you want on on you know how that breaks down by different different flavors. Um, but um, we can get to that when you want to. Yeah, I, I think that would be extremely interesting to hear how this breaks down. And I mean, if you if you if you have that those details immediately available, then yeah, by all means, let's hear them. Okay, so I think by value, the UK is about a fifth actually. Um, you. Funds that focus on UK equities are about a fifth of the, the, the assets under management, uh, while those that uh, invest globally are around 40%. But it's not the same when you come to look at the income. So, in fact, it's almost reversed. So, actually, about uh, 40% of the income comes from, from UK investing, uh, trusts that invest in UK equities, and about a quarter comes from those global funds. And what that tells you is that, you know, UK equities tend to distribute more dividends than companies in other parts of the world. Um, so that had an impact last year in terms of what 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 could actually what, what investment trusts could actually distribute. So we saw UK funds increase their dividends by 3.8% last year, which is pretty good. Remember that the overall UK equities were lost about 38% last year. But the global funds did even better, and they were increased their payouts by 9.3%. So a really chunky increase in a year when global dividends were down about 12%. And again, that is a testament to this really strong diversification inside these portfolios. And of course, this famous revenue reserve. So 
There were some weak spots. Trust investing only in Europe were those that probably did worst of all. Europe's a bit unusual. Companies in Europe tend to pay one dividend a year. In most parts of the world, you get at least two. Some parts of the world, you get four. But in Europe, it's all one hit. And the pandemic kind of struck with its full force right when European companies were about to pay their dividends this time last year in the second quarter. So I think it was quite natural for investment trusts that were focusing on Europe to say, well, you know, we need to be a little bit careful. We've literally had the income rug pulled out from under our feet. So those were more likely to cut. So European trusts saw their dividends go down about 18% and three quarters of the European focus trust actually cut their dividends. They really did stand out. But, you know, emerging markets trust did very well. Japanese trusts did very well. Um, and overall, I think the the sector, I think the investment trust really showed why they why they matter and why they differentiate themselves from the more open ended funds that don't have this flexibility. I mean, perhaps I can just comment quickly on the uh, uh, on the European trust situation. I think that one of the things you've got to remember is that uh, some investment trusts have an income mandate. Some investment trusts have a sort of capital mandate. Um, and, and then you, you, you look at them in a total return basis as well. Um, and the, the investment trust with an income mandate would have been very, very focused on making sure that their dividends um, you know, were at least maintained and possibly increased by using the revenue reserve. In the case of European specialist investment trusts, they are not generally income focused. They're generally um, capital or total return focused. And I think that uh, it would be fair to say that the pandemic gave those those trusts the opportunity to look at their total return and and reconsider the level of the dividend they're paying. Because at the end of the day, the shareholders weren't buying it for income. They they were buying it for total return. And... uh, and therefore, I think those boards took, took the opportunity, uh, if you like, to, to restate their, their, their dividend or reposition it at a, uh, at a slightly lower level, which then enabled them to, um, to manage the portfolio for a, to- for a better total return. So th- there were other factors that affected the European Investment Trust, is what I'm saying, not just the reduction in dividends in Europe. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually, James. And I think this kind of why waste a good crisis in a way is and I think that that's not it's not just something that that the investment trust that you mentioned have seen. I think a number of of the actual companies underlying companies are doing the same thing. And and a kind of wholesale review of dividend policies has taken place in quite a lot of parts of the world and probably is going to result in healthier uh, in healthier dividend policies for some of the companies, you know, Shell's a good example that were arguably really over-distributing in the past. So, you know, I think that that is a, a valuable thing. Yeah, and I think the other thing I would say is just put yourself into the into the shoes of the investor. You know, if you're a, a retired person who is investing for income because um, you, you want to supplement your pension uh, to live comfortably in your, your retirement, you know, what you want is stability of your income. Uh, you want to be able to get that, those dividends in, for those dividends not to be cut because you're spending them. Uh, and, and therefore, investment trusts really came into their own there because they can absorb these, these, this bad news out in the market when the underlying companies are cutting their dividends for whatever reason. 
you know, keep the dividend, you know, at the, at the level it's at or even increase it using their revenues, revenue reserves. And then as things settle down, go back to normal, have a few more good years, top up the revenue reserve again. So, you know, if you're an investor, you know, investment trusts really do provide you with that comfort that that dividend's going to come in. And, you know, as you can imagine, nothing's guaranteed. You can't guarantee that these dividends will continue. But, you know, you've got to be pretty sure that if a company like City of London Investment Trust has increased its dividend every year for 55 years, it's going to try extremely hard to make sure that they keep doing it, because uh, that's not a record you ever want to want to lose. City of London is also the biggest dividend payer in the investment trust market, isn't it, James? I think it was something like 80, 90 million pounds it, it distributed last year. It's an enormous amount of money. Uh, well, well, it did, but that's because it's quite a big trust um, with an income mandate. I mean, it's about 1.6 billion in size, so uh, that that's why the, the the dividend is a fairly fairly big proportion. But it's not one of the highest yielders. I mean, Henderson Far East income at the moment is is yielding sort of seven percent, uh, and so is Henderson High income. So there are trusts that are, that are that are yielding more than that. Um, but you know, again, you know, the point. The the point. Yeah. Sorry, James. I was going to say the point you made about the pensioners, you know, being worried about whether their income was going to be sustained, really ring rang true to me when I was uh, my mother was reading the link dividend monitor in the Telegraph, I think, and lamenting how she'd noticed their income falling from their savings, uh, except the savings they had in investment trust, where, where she said that those dividends were holding up. So, you know, it's precisely that value that I think in that little home, <laughs> little homespun example did, did seem to shine through. James, so can I put you on the spot slightly? <laughs> um, I was going to ask, especially in like City of London, which mainly goes into UK equities, and yes, they've got these reserves, but given the pandemic's gone on longer than we imagined, how long do you think the reserves for companies like City of London can actually last to give the good returns? Well, I mean, what you need to do is you need to, um, you know, look at the comp- what they call the company's dividend cover, uh, and that is the amount of uh, the the amount of, uh, of reserves they've got that, that can pay the that can pay the dividend. So a trust like City of London has got sort of pretty much just over half. I'm not quite sure the exact figure is at the moment, but I know it's got over half of the total annual dividend in reserve. Incredible. Now, that's a phenomenal amount because although dividends have been cut, they haven't been Mm. taken out completely. (laughs) You know, I mean, dividends are still being paid. So what what the revenue reserve is doing is just topping up the dividend to get it to the level that the the, the board want to declare and the shareholders... uh, um, are, are expecting. So you can run for quite a few years dipping into your reserves um, before you have a problem. And certainly um, this, this year is looking like being a better one for income than last year as, as companies start to come out of the, the pandemic. So, you know, we're, we're expecting a, a smaller call on the revenue reserve this year and then perhaps next year we'll be back contributing to it again. So, um, so I think most most companies, investment trusts, have built up quite quite a good reserve. There's always a bit of a debate amongst investment trust aficionados like myself um, about what the optimum level of revenue reserve should be. Should it be one year's dividend or, you know, more than that or less than that? Um, but I think one year's dividend maximum is, is a reasonable level because that will give you some, some comfort for, for a number of years in, in, if, there's a, if there's a prolonged rainy day. Yeah. I think the other thing to, to point out is it's, it's, it's not a static portfolio, is it, James? So, 
the, the fund managers will also un- understand they have an income mandate and will rejig the portfolio to uh, upweight those companies where they expect to see dividends maintained or continued. I think that's one of the things that the Janus Henderson Global Dividend Index pointed out is that actually, you know, we we should remember that the vast majority of global dividends were still paid last year and most companies did not cut. So there was still quite a large pool of quite happily dividend paying companies uh, out there for for trusts to invest in. So well, it, it isn't sort of... Yes, I mean, I was just going to say that that's where investment trusts do come into their own because um, the investment trust, um, you know, manager is a professional manager. And, and, you know, what you want is you don't just want the income, you want the income paid from companies that are growing as well. I mean, you know, you want a good total return as an investor. You don't want your capital falling in, in any sort of way. So so the manager, you know, would, would look at it and would, would invest in the companies they think are going to provide the best total return as well as the income. So, you know, that's where professional managers, you know, really you know, come into their own and why, why people buy investment trusts rather than sort of try and pick equity stocks themselves. I was going to say, or going to see if James remembered that one of the trusts that he, in his stable, Henderson uh, International Income Trust, did some research about two years ago, I think, on... Uh, global yield traps. So looking at companies around the world that are considered yield traps, which means uh, where they might pay a nice dividend, but actually that dividend might be under threat because it isn't sustained by the out, the kind of outlook for companies. And, and, and uh, the trust manager pointed out at the time that what you want is companies that are paying a healthy dividend, but a sustainable healthy dividend and ideally a, a dividend that can grow over time. And when we looked at the the stocks that ultimately did cut their dividend when the pandemic hit, which we didn't know was going to happen when when Hint did its research in the first place, you know, th- those yield traps were significantly overrepresented in the companies that had to ultimately cut. So it is a really important point that that these active fund managers have the opportunity to make judgment calls to find those companies that are going to provide the best sustainable and growing income to their end investor. Yeah. And I mean that yeah that as well leads perfectly into my my next my next question which you know what does the future hold for investment trusts and what are the learnings uh, that 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 can be used to predict what the post pandemic world might look like and and are the asset managers and fund managers taking a more active role in the governance of their investee companies in the future with regard to ESG and, and the rest of the uh, the language that we're hearing at the moment. So that's an open question to everyone, really. Yes, I think that, you know, the comment I'd make is that um, ESG, uh, environmental, social and governance issues, is becoming um, a, a very, very important factor in investment. Um, and I think every investment trust and every fund um, is looking at its uh, ESG credentials and and explaining how ESG uh, is, is you know forms part of the investment process. So, you know, investors should look out for that. They will find, I think, you know, information about the ESG uh, approach of the fund managers that manage any investment trust on their websites. And I think that you know it's generally always a very good read. Um, But it is a very, very important thing. And I think that, um, you know, all of our fund managers, you know, take account of ESG factors uh, and they do question companies about what they're doing in in an ESG sense. And and these companies are challenged. And, uh, 
quite often the com- companies that are that are that, are, that, are, that are, get the best score, if you like, in terms of ESG, are often the ones that are the most attractive, which which says a lot just in mm. itself. Absolutely. I think that's a really interesting point because I think in you know twenty years ago when ESG people first started talking about it and it was very much a fringe thing. I think it was always assumed that it must come with a penalty uh, in terms of your return, and I think the evidence is increasingly showing that that's not the case, especially over the longer term, because of all the kind of the kind of negative consequences of bad corporate behaviour, whatever it is, that that ultimately harm uh, the environment or the society or the shareholder one way or another. Um, James, do you think that, that ESG might be a category that ultimately makes itself redundant if fund managers like yours and, and those elsewhere across the sector basically demand uh, that companies behave appropriately? They, the, the category itself may just become mm. what, what we think of as fund management now. Well, I, th- I think that, that we're a little way away from that. I, I think as it stands at the moment, because, you know, there's different levels of ESG. I mean, there's companies that just you know, take account of ESG, um, you know, this, this companies for whom ESG is, is one of a number of, of hard line factors in their investment objective or investment policy. And then there are ESG funds or, or sustainable funds or funds that, are, that, 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 that are, their investment objective is out and out ESG compliance. And they're known as dark green and the middle category is light green. So, um, you know, I think there will remain uh, that, 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 that they will, those sort of distinctions will remain for the time being. And I think, you know, we're a long way from, from ESG being completely mm. embedded in every single investment uh, portfolio across the world and embedded into every single company that those fund managers would invest in. So um, I think, you know, we're on a journey and we're a lot further down that journey than we were 10 years ago, hell of a lot further. And I think the pace of change is accelerating. And uh, we're seeing it accelerate and the regulators are encouraging it. So, uh, um, you know, I'm very optimistic that in 20, 30 years time, you might be right. But you're not going to be right this year or next. <laughs> I think we'll, uh, we think we'll, inv- I think we'll invite you both back for another conversation podcast on, on ESG, uh, <laughs> perhaps in the next few months, because uh, it, it's receiving, as you well know, an awful lot of attention from uh, not only the, the issuers, but from investors too, and, and, and rightly so. Um, so if I can, just to um, start bringing this to a close, uh, just a few closing remarks from you both on where you see the uh, the dividend returns and or the future of investment trusts uh, over the next five, ten years. And I'll, I'll go to you first, James, if I may. Well, uh, yes, of course. I mean, um, I'm very optimistic about the future for investment trusts over the next five, 10 years. I mean, uh, particularly in regard to private investors and in retail private investor investing. Mm. That is to say, private investors who who are making their own decisions. Uh, We've seen a significant increase in interest in buying investment trusts over the last year. You know, one of the few good things you can say about the pandemic is that people have, A, had more money in their pockets because they haven't been able to spend it, and B, more time to think about what they might do with it. And as a consequence, we've seen a lot of these private investors start to look at investing and thinking about it for the first time, asking questions, uh, you know, uh, Googling it and and spending time um, uh, uh, looking at podcasts and other things that are available to them. And and I think, you know, particularly when you, you, you bracket that with all the, the, the changes to the pensions legislation that's gone on over the last few 
few years and the fact that people can take control of their own pensions and their own pension decisions. Um, I, I think we're going to see a significant amount of, 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 of interest growing you know, over, over the years ahead in investment trusts. And, you know, the, the mainstream investment trusts, you know, like City of London, Bankers Investment Trust, etc., you know, are, are going to be increasingly owned by private investors. Yes. And I think this is, um, this is you know, a, a big opportunity for the, uh, the investment trust industry, and we need to take it. Mm, wonderful. Yeah, absolutely wonderful. Mark, do you have anything to, to add on the, on the dividend side, on, based on the research you've conducted? Well, I think, funnily enough, my, my point it sort of follows on from James's, which I think is that investment trusts sometimes sort of people think they're more complicated than they are. But I think they're actually the most simple way of buying an investment fund. Uh, we've already shown through our discussion that, that they provide an extremely reliable and regular income stream, which is very helpful for many kinds of investors. But even those for whom growth is more important at their stage of life than income. There are plenty of trusts to choose from. And all you have to do is buy a share on a stock market. You don't have to go through the more complicated process of, 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 of getting into the open-ended uh, fund system, um, usually through platforms or advisors or whatever. You can just buy them. So I think, and, and they're cheap to buy too, the low transaction costs. So I think it's a, it's a, it's a simple product with a usually with a very clear investment mandate uh, and a reliable income stream. And that feels like a win-win-win for, for a private investor. Indeed. Oh, I absolutely agree, Mark and James. I actually was thinking about during this conversation, especially when you, Mark, brought up your mother reading about her dividends have gone down, um, that absolutely it does seem like investment trusts could be very much the future for a lot of individual investors if they're wanting that long-term return when things like the pandemic and stuff had come about that nobody expects. Absolutely, absolutely. And you're protected against individual stock um, um, movements. So, you know, I mean, if, 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 you know, you know, for example, you know, a few years ago, the oil companies got into trouble for, for that, the banks, um, you know, and suddenly these, these companies suddenly have a bad, something goes wrong, something happens. And, and that's a real problem if you own shares in that company. Um, but if you're, you bought an investment trust and that just happens to be one investment out of 100, you know, it hardly, it hardly notices. So, you know, that spread of investment to lower the risk of your investment makes a big difference. Yeah, I think that's a, a positive to end on. Uh, well, I think that, that wraps up our conversation uh, very nicely. Uh, many thanks uh, to both James and Mark for providing such valuable insights for our listeners. And thank you to our listeners for, for joining us. Well, thank you very much to James, Mark and Jay. I thought that went really well. If you've enjoyed today's episode, you might want to consider hitting subscribe on whatever platform you get your podcasts. That way you'll never miss us. Both myself and Jay are on LinkedIn. So if you want to connect with us, we'd love to hear from you. You can also follow the Link Group page on LinkedIn for regular industry updates across the globe. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time.